I have exactly one thing to say. That's not true. I, I got a couple things to say, but I am thankful that you guys are here. And for those who may be watching at home, I hope they have their phone off and Facebook shut down and the TV with election results turned off. And uh, we did, we prayed, we fasted, we voted. Now Jesus is still on the throne and we let him do what he does. And so we look at, we look at, I just want to share before we jump into Jeremiah, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel has this, I don't know, this, uh, as I was studying today, this scripture just came to mind and I thought I'd share it. It says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings. He sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. So as I was putting that together, I just felt like I always say, you know, when the when the children of Israel got to the, to the Red Sea and they're between uh, uh, Pihahiroth and Migdal, between a rock and a hard place, and they got water on one side and Pharaoh's army's coming, I always think, how cool would it be if they had praised God first instead of freaking out? And uh, so I refuse to freak out, and I'm just going to praise God, and I don't care. Whatever, whatever happens, whatever goes on, we still have a job to do, right? Regardless of what it is. And just so we're aware, uh, God is still on the throne and he's accomplishing his purpose. So, so whatever that looks like, I just know I don't need to hear from anybody else on the news. And since nobody can stop talking about it on Facebook, I don't need to look at Facebook. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait four or five weeks and then I'll look. And I figure by then, it's okay, I'll know what's going on, right? We'll, we'll figure it out. But, but we have a purpose. And it's important, this concept is important for us tonight as we look at Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah, if you remember, Jeremiah, where we're at, we're, tonight we're going to read Jeremiah's final words. The final words Jeremiah ever spoke, we're going to read tonight. Now, you're going to say, but we're not going to finish the book. You're right, because there still is the oracles against the nations that Jeremiah spoke earlier. But the last words he's going to share to the men of Judah, the people of Judah, he's going to share tonight. We saw the fall of Jerusalem, just like he preached for 40 years, and Jerusalem fell. And then we, we talked a little bit about the hope, right? Jeremiah's hope, because the Lord said, hey, I'm going to use you for tearing down and and, but he also said, I'm going to use you for building up. And so I'm sure there was this, this idea of hope as Gedaliah is given authority over the remnants that's left there in Judah. And uh, um, Jeremiah chooses to stay there with them. <clears throat> so we see this hope there in chapter 40. But then chapter 41, we see the fall of Gedaliah, right? We see the crisis, the chaos after the crisis. You have this 
thing happens, whatever, and, and then men do what men do best, right? What did men do? The men of Judah, what did they do? They, they went and slaughtered Gedaliah. That make their position better? Make life better? To make Babylon happy? No. Did they accomplish anything good? Nope. Didn't accomplish anything good. So they're in a panic after that. The uh, um, Yohanan, he catches up to Ishmael. You remember last week? He, uh, Ishmael escapes. He delivers the people who were kidnapped by Ishmael. I just want you to keep this in mind. He delivers the people who were kidnapped from Ishmael so he can kidnap them later. And they all go to Jeremiah. You remember what they said to Jeremiah? Jeremiah, seek the Lord. And whatever God tells us to do, we'll do it. Whatever he says, we will obey. We promise we're going to do what the Lord says. So Jeremiah sought the Lord 10 days, and then he told the people what the Lord said. You know what the Lord said? Just sit tight. I got you. Just sit tight and trust me, and I've, I'm, gonna, I'm going to build you in this place. Everything around them is destroyed. There's chaos. There's people doing things they ought not, people who won't fall in line under the authority of Babylon. But the Lord said to the people, if you just sit tight, I'll take care of you. So chapter 43 is where we start tonight. He delivered that message to the people. Here is the response of the people. When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people, all these words of the Lord their God, with which the Lord their God had sent him to them, Azariah, the son of Hoshiah, and Johanan, the son of Kariah, and all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, you are telling a lie. Just seek the Lord and tell us and we'll do whatever he says. But what if the word from the Lord is not what you want to hear? What if the word from the Lord is not the candidate you want to be in place? What if the word from the Lord is no? These people look straight at Jeremiah, whom they know has been a faithful man for 40 years because everything he said was going to happen, happened, right? And they look right at him and said, you're lying. You are telling a lie. The Lord our God did not say this to you. Do not go to Egypt to live there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has set you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans that they may kill us or take us into exile in Babylon. So they say, you're lying, we don't believe you. Baruch, now Baruch is the, is the secretary. We're going to see him tonight in chapter 45. We're going to make it all the way to 45. Cross your fingers. In 45, we're going to see Baruch, the secretary of Jeremiah. Baruch's the reason you get to read Jeremiah today. Let me say that again. Baruch's the human reason you get to read it. The Lord preserves his word but Baruch was the guy who wrote it all down so that Jeremiah's uh, prophecies were all written down so so here he he's saying Baruch he, he he's he's telling you to say this Baruch he he wants to see us enslaved none of that was true this is always how man reacts when he hears what he doesn't want to hear if it doesn't go his way this is not new this didn't end at the time of Jeremiah, still happening today. 
Anytime man gets a word that he didn't want to hear, this is what he does. Well, this can't be the Lord. Somewhere, somebody out there is spoiling the Lord's purposes. Well, I don't buy that. I don't buy that God's wringing his hands in heaven saying, what do I do now? This election didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. You think that's happening? I don't think that's happening. And I don't know, the, we'll let all the crazy people figure out what that's all about. I choose to praise God because he is in control. And whatever he brings about, he brings about. It will not have changed one iota my purpose to make disciples of every nation. That don't change at all. So we, we have to be able to receive. What is it that God is telling them? Is it really, is it really uh, um, this idea, this concept that Baruch is, is trying to direct um, Jeremiah? But so often when things happen that we don't understand or we don't like, we look around for the human reason that has spoiled the purpose of God. Oh, Baruch, he's, he's got it in Jeremiah's head. Or I've said before, oh, the, the pastor's wife, she's directing the pastor. She don't like me. Or whatever things we do. The bottom line is God knows what he's doing. God is accomplishing his purpose. And listen, please understand this. God is not a power to enlist. God is a Lord to obey. God is not a power to enlist. Hey, we need God on our side. No. You remember when Joshua was going and taking the children of Israel into the promised land and he comes across the captain of the Lord's army? You remember the story? And he runs up and he sees this, this, this uh, Iowa, I'll, I'll just give you my picture that runs around in my head. But he sees this giant, right, in armor and this big sword and he's like, whoa. Hey, are you for us or are you for them? You remember what the captain of the Lord's army says? No. Well, that's not the proper answer. Are you for us or for them? No. He said, I'm the captain of the Lord's army. God is not a power to enlist. He is a Lord to obey. We have to understand that. We have to hold on to that. Now, these people needed to know that, but they... They're, they're freaking out, right? They're freaking out because they know Babylon's going to be mad. They're freaking out because they're afraid of what's going to happen, they're, and they don't want to obey the Lord. They wanted the Lord to give a, a punch to their plan, <clears throat> to empower their purpose. But the Lord is the Lord. We obey him. We don't enlist him. He doesn't work for us. We are his. So it says in verse 4, so Yohanan, the son of Kariah, and all the commanders of the forces and all the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. Judah. So everybody said, nope, we ain't listening. Now, is this shocking for Jeremiah? If I was Jeremiah, I'd say, Lord, I want to go back to the beginning because there was something about planting there. There was something about building up. But nobody ever listens. Everybody just, just ignores everything I'm saying. So these guys, are, they're the same. They, they're just going to ignore it. But Yohanan, the son of Kariah, 
And the commanders of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to the land of Judah from all the nations where they had been driven, the men, the women, the children, the princesses, and every person who Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, also Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch the son of Neriah. And they came to the land of Egypt. Now whether you see it as a kidnapping or a voluntary uh, journey, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can absolutely read kidnapping here. But I think if all the people were leaving, Jeremiah would have went where all the people were going. Because the word of the Lord's not finished. So they all are going to Egypt. Now, chapter 42, right? Jeremiah and the prophecy say, if you go to Egypt, what's going to happen? Everybody's going to die. You're all going to die there. You're, you're, you're all going to die. It's all going to come down. So Jeremiah and Baruch went with them, and they came to the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they arrived at Tapanis. Um, so they come to this place. Now, he goes on Then in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So here you have, right, God's word to the people. Even when the people are disobedient and contrary and rebellious, God always has a prophet in their midst to deliver God's word. So God tells Jeremiah, take in your hand large stones and hide them in the mortar of the pavement that is at the entrance to Pharaoh's palace in Tapanis in the sight of all the men of Judah and say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and put his throne above these stones that I have hidden, and he will spread out his royal canopy over them. You're running to Egypt to get away from Nebuchadnezzar, and the Lord says, Jeremiah picks up these stones, carries them over, sets them at the entrance to Pharaoh's palace in the, in the mortar. People look at him like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, well, the Lord said that, that Nebuchadnezzar is going to set up his palace right here where I put these rocks. You're running away from Nebuchadnezzar, but Nebuchadnezzar's coming to Egypt. Just like the Lord told them. He brings that word. He brings that word. Has the Lord ever brought word to you when you were running in rebellion against the Lord in a direction God didn't want you to go? And if somewhere down that journey, the Lord got your attention so that you stopped, repented, changed your direction and went the way God was telling you, you should be thankful that God sends his word faithfully uh, to his people. So here he delivers the word. What's he telling them? The safest place for you to be is wherever God tells you to go. And I guess I want to clarify that. It doesn't mean that that will be safe either. But it's far safer than anywhere else. Right? Did Jonah learn that? Look, Nineveh might not have been super safe for him, but it was probably better than the belly of the whale. No? Or certainly in the depths of the ocean, drowning. It's always best to be where God is calling you to be, whatever that is. Whatever that looks like, to fulfill God's purpose. To be where God is directing you to be. 
Now, <clears throat> Jeremiah continues to talk about Nebuchadnezzar. He shall come and strike the land of Egypt, giving over to the pestilence those who are doomed to the pestilence, to captivity those who are doomed to captivity, to the sword those who are doomed to the sword. He says, I shall kindle a fire in the temples of the gods of Egypt, and he will burn them and carry them away captive. It's kind of a funny idea, isn't it? When uh, the conquering army came and conquered and tore down the temples and then grabbed the gods that were in those temples and hauled them back to wherever they came from. Seems a little weird, no? Your gods have been taken captive by an earthly king. And he will clean the land of Egypt like a shepherd cleans his cloak of vermin. And he shall go away from there in peace. He will clean Egypt like a shepherd cleans his cloak. The idea is like a shepherd shakes out the lice from his cloak. That's how God's going to remove the idolatry out of Egypt. He's going to shake it out and Nebuchadnezzar is going to take it all away. The temples are going to come down. The idols are going to be taken. In fact, in verse 13, he shall break the obelisks of Heliopolis, which is in the land of Egypt, and the temples of the gods of Egypt he will burn <coughs> with fire. The obelisks, the pillars. Specifically, these pillars were to Ra, the sun god. And he's saying, look, Nebuchadnezzar is going to take these down. All of these things in which you have placed your hope. Because when the people of Judah said, look, we can't stay here. We got to go to Egypt. They were saying, Yahweh can't take care of us. God can't watch over us. We need Ra. In a moment, we're going to see we need the queen of heaven. We need the gods of Egypt because the gods of Egypt are still standing. And Jerusalem has been destroyed. So the idea, <coughs> the gods here are not strong enough, <coughs> excuse me, to deliver from Babylon. They're not, Yahweh is not able to deliver us, so we need these other gods. So Yahweh says through Jeremiah's prophet, look, I'm going to tear down all these temples. This is how you'll know it's me, because I'm telling you before it happens. I'm telling you so that you will know that I am the Lord. But listen, here's the, pro here's the problem for the people. The people of Judah the people that Jeremiah is talking to have no remorse for their sin and no reverence for God. Is there a better way to describe the United States than that? No remorse for sin, no reverence for God. This was the people that Jeremiah was talking to. This was their attitude. This was their way of looking at things. So in, verse, in chapter 44, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning all the Judeans who lived in the land of Egypt at Migdal, at Tapanis, and at Memphis in the land of Pathros. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you have seen all the disaster that I brought on Jerusalem, on the cities of Judah, to this day they are a desolation and no one dwells in them. So the Lord begins 
with a history lesson. You saw what I did in Jerusalem. All the while, God's faithful prophets were speaking. All the while, God's prophets were calling the people to repent. All the while, God's, God's prophets were calling God's people to, to submit themselves to the, to the Lord and to his care, to trust in him, whatever he has for you, whether it was slavery or not. Trust in him. This is our punishment for our sin. Accepting it, right? Uh, 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 putting away the idea of rebelling against whatever God's doing. The prophet spoke over and over and over. And the Lord said, if you won't do this, destruction will come and there will be no Judah and there will be no Jerusalem. So he begins when he brings this word to, uh, through Jeremiah to the people by rehearsing their history. Look behind you. Pay attention. Those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. History runs in cycles. No? Every, every great nation has collapsed upon itself. Everyone. All of them. None have, have been bypassed. Everybody has crumbled. Every nation has fallen. Why? Because the kingdoms of men cannot be compared to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is an eternal kingdom. The kingdom of man is temporal. The best man can do, according to Isaiah the prophet, was what? Filthy rags, right? So, so he's rehearsing. Here's the history. Look, you guys have fallen, and here you are. You are in disobedience to God, running in the opposite direction, running to the gods of Egypt to save you, and they can't save you. Verse 3 of chapter 44. <clears throat> because of the evil that they committed, they provoked me to anger, in that they went to make offerings and serve other gods that they knew not, Neither they, nor you, nor your fathers. The idea is that the children of Israel worshiped gods that they had no relationship with. Yahweh built Israel. Remember? When Abraham was just a guy living in Ur of the Chaldees, God came to Abraham and said, hey, Come with me, go to a place that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. You remember? And you have the, the history laid out for, for us from Genesis chapter 12, right, of God building the nation. They go into Egypt. He brings them out of Egypt. They go into, they go into Egypt, a family of 70. They come out a nation. God grows them, develops them. <clears throat> but in all their travels... They learned that there were certain things these other nations did to ensure success. So to ensure success, they would pray to Baal. Baal was the god of the storm. If you were an agricultural society, of course you need to pray to Baal because he's the one who brings the rain. Now the children of Israel didn't stop praying to Yahweh. 
they still prayed to Yahweh, but we might as well pray to Baal too, right? What's the harm? So the Lord says, you provoke me to anger because you don't know Baal. What Baal ever do? You heard about him from a friend who, from a friend who, from a friend who? But the bottom line is man's desire to worship success is not something that ended in the prehistoric times, is it? Man's desire to worship success, is that you think that's over? May not call him Baal anymore. Or Astra, Astra, the fertility goddess. You can call her by any of the other hundred different names that she's known over time. That was man worshiping at the altar of sex. You think that's over now? I don't think so. The Lord says, you went to these gods. You don't know. They've never done nothing. You have no relationship. You didn't know them. They weren't with you in the wilderness. They didn't feed you with the bread from heaven in the years in the wilderness. They didn't dry up the Red Sea. Yet you are worshiping them. You're going to them. You're going outside of the relationship with Yahweh to find the things that you need. Yahweh, whose name means uh, I am everything you need. And you're leaving that to find everything you need somewhere else. At the, at the altar of Satan, ultimately. Uh, I'm not trying to say it's devil worship, but it's devilish. Right? It's just find gratification for the flesh. How do we keep score? It used to be the bumper sticker was he who dies with the most toys. Oh, that's that's perfect to Baal, right? The God of the storms who brings you success. You want to be successful, right? Doesn't everybody want to be successful? Sure. So we see these same things, these attitudes that were pervasive among Judah. The Lord says, you provoke me to anger by worshiping these things, to serve other gods that you don't know. Verse 4, yet the Lord says, yet I persistently sent to you all my servants the prophets, saying, oh, do not do this abomination that I hate. There's a lot of talk these days about all the things God loves. There's just not a lot of talk about the things God hates. But you know the Bible talks about the things God hates, right? It's important for us as followers of Jesus Christ to ask the Lord to teach us to hate the things he hates. Because we sure try to philosophize around hating the things God hates. We try to find a way around it. I don't really have to hate that. God doesn't really, he he doesn't really hate that. Are you sure? Because right here he says all of this false worship, worshiping the God of success or the goddess of sex, All of this, he's like, hey, this is an abomination. I hate it. I hate it. But what does it say about the people? Look at verse 5. But they did not listen. They won't listen. I like this next phrase. They would not even incline their ear. See, as the Lord lays out this concept for us, he he lays out the idea that they were able to respond to his prophets. 
As his prophets declared God's purpose to them, as the prophets spoke the word of God, man was able to either incline his ear or not. God knew they're not going to listen, but it didn't stop God from speaking so that then God could stand before them and hold them responsible. I delivered my word and you would not incline your ear. It's like putting your fingers in your ear and going la, 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 la and walking by. You would not listen. They would not incline their ear to turn from evil. To turn from the evil and make no offerings to other gods. So this is God's primary issue. They would not listen. They would not repent. They would not turn their head. They would not look. They would not give God their face. The Lord says one of his, one of his condemnations of the nation of Israel is that the nation of Israel turned their back to him, not their face. So the picture is God speaking to his people through the prophets and the people turning their back. Like, well. But God still was faithful to deliver his word through his faithful prophets, teachers, to share the things that needed to be shared so that man would be responsible. God delivered his word. You have rejected that word. You did not even incline your ear. So therefore, my wrath and my anger were poured out, kindled in the cities of Judah, the streets of Jerusalem. They became a waste and a desolation as it is to this day. Again, he's rehearsing their history. The, you guys just left Jerusalem. You saw all this stuff. You guys saw, you heard Jeremiah speak for for some period of time, he was there for 40 years. So you heard Jeremiah speak during that time. You heard the word of the Lord go out before the people. You saw the things that I did. You saw the truth as Jeremiah declared what would happen. And it is exactly what happened. All of these things you saw, yet you will not obey. That is the definition of rebellion. Romans chapter 1 says the problem with man is not that man does not know there's a God. The problem with man is that man knows there's a God and he suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. He rebels. He rebels. I have a hard time believing anybody who tells me I don't believe there's a God. No, you believe there's a God. You don't like him. That's rebellion. I don't have to convince you that the earth was created. I don't have to convince you all of these other things. You are not willing to incline your ear to the word. You will not hear his voice and you will not repent. Those are all choices, decisions of your will in rebellion against God. So they, they have this rebellion, right? I'm not going to turn. I'm not going to turn. So now thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel. Why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from you man, woman, infant, child in the midst of Judah, leaving no remnant? Why do you all want to die out here? Literally, that's what guy is asking him. Why do you want to die? What's wrong with you? You are going to die out here. I've sat in my office and looked at a guy 
so wrecked on crack that he can't think, who would sit there in his desk and tell me, <clears throat> I would rather get meth than Jesus. I just want another fix. That's all I want. And you look right at him and say, why do you want to die? He don't care. Still to this day, he don't care. The people of Judah are no different than the people of today who are in rebellion against God. And God desires that his people would be his voice to call the wicked to repentance. Anybody can sit on a couch and have peaceful days. That part's easy. The Lord is looking for his Jeremiah's, his Isaiah's, his prophets that will speak to a world that won't listen, that won't make you famous, that won't love you because you brought the message, who won't carry you on their shoulders, but yet God wants you to make disciples for him everywhere you go, wherever you are, wherever the Lord would take you. He asked another question. Why do you provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, making offerings to other gods in the land of Egypt, where you have come to live so that you would be cut off and become a curse and a taunt among all the nations of the earth? The Lord is looking at the people and saying, why are you bringing me to this place? Why, why are you rejecting me? Those other gods can't help you. It does not matter how successful you are. If you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your success is meaningless. Doesn't matter how many women or men you have. Does not matter how many relationships you've been a part of. None of that matters. If you do not have Jesus Christ, it is all meaningless. It's a distraction sent by the enemy to get your focus on anything other than the God of the universe who is beckoning unto you through his word. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me. The people, he says in verse 9, have you forgotten the evil of your fathers? You remember the evil of the fathers? Oh, don't forget. We don't want to, I think one of the most important things for us as human beings is to remember where we have come from. The problem with much or many in the church is we lose sight of who we were before Christ and somehow we start to believe our own press. So let me just settle it for you. I was a dirty, rotten wretch and you're right beside me. So don't go thinking like, oh, no, I've heard what Jackie done, but, you know, I'm good. No, you ain't. You ain't good. You are just as evil and wicked as me apart from Christ entering into our life and saving us from ourselves. He receives all glory, right, all honor for what he's accomplished in us. So we ought to be able to look at those in rebellion without uh, an attitude of haughtiness. Right? Without an attitude of pride. 
just an attitude of humility. I'm like you. I'm, I was screwed up. I'm still screwed up. Jesus has to work in my life every single day. One day without Jesus be over for me. I need him all the time. Have you forgotten the evil of your fathers? Have you forgotten where you've come from? The evil of the kings of Judah? <clears throat> I think about this almost every election cycle. So I might get in trouble. So I don't, who cares? So rebellious. <laughs> so listen, the kings, the kings of the United States, those who have been in power, I don't care which side, I don't care who you are, I don't care what party, I don't care if you're a constitutionalist, I don't care if you're a libertarian, I don't care if you're a Democrat, I don't care if you're a Republican, your God is power and that's what you want. Now, the, the, the atrocities that have been accomplished in our nation, in our history, whether the name of Republican was in front or Democrat was in front, doesn't make any difference. There's plenty of atrocities on both sides. Plenty of atrocities to go around. Don't forget the wickedness of the kings of Judah. Have you forgotten? That's what the Lord is saying to these guys in Judah. You forget what your kings were like? Does that mean that Judah never had a good king? No. Does that mean we've never had a good king or a good president or good politicians? No, but it means for the most part, people are chasing power. They're looking for personal greatness. Doesn't mean there's never somebody who's different, but they will surely stick out, no? How different they are from <coughs> everybody else. Have you forgotten the evil of the kings of Judah? How about the evil of their wives? How about your own evil? How about the evil of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? What is it that God is saying? You guys are all messed up. How did Romans say it? Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God, right? We're, we're, we find ourselves in opposition to God. Have you forgotten the, the, the evilness, the wickedness? Here, look at verse 10. They have not humbled themselves even to this day, nor have they feared, nor have they walked in my law and my statutes I have set before you and before your fathers. What's, what's God's condemnation against them? They have not humbled themselves even to this day greatest act of humility is to bow your knee before your king. I, I've had those times in my life. If you, if you learn to do it, it gets easier every time. The uh, first time I remember doing it, I shared with you a couple of Sundays ago, you know, I was, was when I first got diagnosed with HIV. There's no cure. There's no hope. There's no help. There's nobody nowhere who can do anything. My, I just told my wife, we're all crying, I'm by the couch. I knelt before that couch and I said to God, uh, whatever you want, I surrender. Whatever you want. Whatever's left, it's yours. And after the first time of 
following before him and saying, it's all yours, it was easier the next time. Because I still know who I am. And it was easier the next time and the next time and the next time. And so when things in the world happen that don't line up with my perfect plan, I find it easy to fall on my knees before the Lord and say, hey, God, it's you. I'm yours. Whatever you do. Whatever happens. One day I am going to see his face. And I sincerely hope to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. But I know how much a knucklehead I am. His, his decree to the people was, they have not humbled themselves even to this day to bow before the Lord and say, it's you, nor have they feared the Lord. No fear. Have you no fear of the Lord? We live in a nation that has that. Our nation has no fear of the Lord. They think you can say anything and do anything you want and nothing will ever happen. They have no fear of the Lord. Now that's, I don't say that to be angry at them. How should they act? They don't know him. That is a statement about me. Have you taught them the fear of the Lord? Have you humbled yourself before the Lord God? Are you walking in his law, his statutes? Are you doing the things you know God has asked you to do? We'll just throw all the ones out that you're not sure about. Just do the ones you're sure about. If you say, I'm not sure of any, I'll give you a couple. Just raise your hand. <laughs> in case you don't know of any commandments that you're, commandments you're unclear of, I'm, I'm, I'm quick with some of those. <laughs> I don't have any doubts to some of the things God's asking of me. We want to be obedient. These things, the Lord says, I set before your fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I set my face against you for harm to cut off Judah. I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to come to the land of Egypt to live, and they shall all be consumed. In the land of Egypt they shall fall. By the sword, by famine, they will be consumed. From the least to the greatest, they will die by the sword and by the famine, and they shall become an oath, a horror, a curse, a taunt. I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have come to live in the land of Egypt shall escape or survive or return to the land of Judah, to which they desire to return to dwell there. For they shall not return, look at this little clause, except some fugitives. What he's saying is there's no remnant coming out of Egypt. There will be a smattering of people who survive. I'll give you the name of one. I actually know the name of one of the survivors. You know him too, you just don't know it. Baruch. Remember Baruch? Remember I told you he's the one who wrote Jeremiah, all the things Jeremiah quoted? Yeah, he don't die here. We'll see. We'll see in a minute. Then, verse 15, all the men who knew that their wives had made offerings to other gods and all the women who stood by, a great assembly, all the people who lived in Pathros in the land of Egypt, answered Jeremiah. So here's the answer of the people. 
Here it comes, that great statement of humility and fear of the Lord, that great attitude of repentance, opening their hearts to God and watching God bring life rather than death. You think that's what's going to happen? As for the Lord that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. But we will do everything that we have vowed. Make offerings to the queen of heaven. Pour drink offerings out to her as we did. Both we and our fathers, our kings, our officials, in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. Because when we did, for then we had plenty of food and prospered and saw no desire. When we worshipped her, when we worshipped him, there was no problems we uh, problems only came we 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 tried to do something with you we had plenty of food we prospered we saw no disaster but since we left off making offerings to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her we've lacked everything we've been consumed by the sword and by famine and the women said when we made offerings to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her was it without our husband's approval that we made cakes bearing her image and poured out drink offerings to her? Jeremiah, we don't care. We are going to do what we do. In verse 20, you have the beginning of the last words Jeremiah ever spoke. So Jeremiah said to all the people, men and women, all the people who had given him this answer, as for the offerings you offered in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings, your officials, the people of the land, did not the Lord remember them? Did it not come into his mind? The Lord could no longer bear your evil deeds and the abominations that you committed. Therefore, your land has become a desolation, a waste, and a curse without inhabitant as it is this day. It is because you made offerings, because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey the voice of the Lord or walk in his law or statutes and his testimonies that this disaster has happened to you as at this day. Jeremiah said to all the people and all the women, hear the word of the Lord. All you of Judah who are in the land of Egypt, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you and your wives have declared with your mouths and have fulfilled it with your hands. We will surely perform our vows that we have made to make offerings to the queen of heaven to pour out our drink offerings to her. Then confirm your vows. Perform your vows. And hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that, by, that my name shall no more be invoked by the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt. So there was not one man of Judah in Egypt who repented after this. Not one. No more shall they say as the Lord God lives. Behold, I am watching over them for disaster, not for good. All the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and famine until there is an end of them. And those who escape the sword will return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah, few in number. And all the remnants of Judah who came to Egypt to live shall know 
whose word will stand, mine or theirs. And this will be a sign to you, declares the Lord, that I will punish you in this place in order that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for harm. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will give Pharaoh Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies, into the hand of those who seek his life, just as I gave Zedekiah to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who was his enemy and sought his life. 570 B.C., Pharaoh Hophra, there was a, a ruckus that arose in Egypt. General Amasis went to quell the revolt against Hophra, and Amasis decided to declare himself king. And he declared himself king, reigned alongside Hophra for three years, and then he said, I don't know why I should keep you around. So General Amasis killed Hophra. He was executed. Just like God said, I'm going to give him into the hands of his enemies, just like I gave Zedekiah. And when that happens, you'll know I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. That was the last prophecy of Jeremiah. His whole life spent delivering a message to people who would not listen. In, in chapter 45, I'm going to skip it, but I ain't going to. Chapter 45, just five verses, but listen, I want you to know, chapter 45 is God's word to Baruch. Why do I know there was someone left of the remnant in Egypt? Because God promised Baruch he would make it. Long before this time when they were in Egypt, when Baruch was writing prophecies down for Jeremiah in the, uh, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, he wrote these words in a book at the dictation of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. It's a long time before this moment. <clears throat> Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, Baruch, because Baruch was getting down. Everything's bad. You ever feel like that when you study Jeremiah? <laughs> this is my third time through Jeremiah. It doesn't get better the third time. It's the same. Uh, he, this is what he says. He says, Baruch was, he said, woe is me for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I'm weary <coughs> with my groaning and I find no rest. Baruch was getting bummed. He's writing down all these prophecies. He's like, man, when's the, when's the good news? He just keeps writing. So the Lord gave him a word through Jeremiah. Thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, behold, what I have built, I am breaking down. What I have planted, I am plucking up. That is the whole land. Then he says to Baruch, do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. For behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. Everybody gets wiped out, but I will give you your life as a prize of war in all the places to which you go. Baruch's going to be a sad road just like Jeremiah's, but God says to Baruch, 
Everyone else is going to Egypt, but you're coming back. So when the Lord says all the remnant's going to die here, but there's going to be some, there's going to be some refugees or some folks that are scattered off. At least one of them guys is Baruch, who delivers to you and I through history, the book of Jeremiah. The next part we'll study will be the oracle against the nations, which comes later, or sorry, which comes earlier in Jeremiah's ministry. We'll start looking at those next week. Why don't you guys stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have had tonight to delve into the book of Jeremiah, the challenges that the book of Jeremiah lay out for us. And I just can't help, you know, looking at our world and seeing the parallels in the pages of Scripture. As the Lord God calls his people over and 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 over to repent. And the people reach a place where they're so hard of hearing, they won't incline their ear, they won't turn their head, they won't listen. Yet all day long, the Lord reaches out his hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Faithfully through his prophets, whom they killed. Ultimately, faithfully through his son. The Lord God Almighty has provided that we may respond to the word delivered through the prophets by the Lord God Almighty, that we may turn our ear, that we may lift our eyes, that we might bow our knee. Lord God, I pray that you would bring us here, gathered, studying this book, to a position of humility before you, of submission to your will. I pray, God, that you would bring the church at large across our nation to submission to your will, to humility before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I pray, God, that you would do a work that no one would believe. God, I pray that you would accomplish your purpose through your people, that we might bring the words of life to ears that hear, that you would be glorified in the sound of men turning from their sin and turning toward you. God, I pray that you'd be glorified and magnified in this place as we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.